out to outback Queensland and you know, we had 120 blokes in a pub. They had this event in Claremont called Jugs and Jocks. So uh, they have it every uh, second year they had it and so we're up there talking, uh, both Dave and I had a, uh, spoke to the, the guys in there and behind us there's a washing line with undies hanging off it. So uh, that's unique, first time I've seen that. But it was, it was fantastic and the feedback there was great and we had about half an hour of questions after that. So it's breaking down those barriers and providing a, a safe and open place for, for men to be honest. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we have a resilient, determined and trusted freelance entrepreneur, facilitator, keynote speaker and trainer. He's a former bodyguard for the Australian Prime Minister, and other dignitaries, an executive level Australian public servant and former police officer. Our guest loves making a difference in people's lives and has recently joined Blokepedia as a director and continues to be a wonderful ambassador for Beyond Blue. Not only is he an entrepreneur with Gary Mills Peak Performance, but he is also a very talented TV actor and corporate video podcast presenter and has spent some time on the radio. In 2017, he became famous for finishing second with Team Australia in the Photonis Ultimate Forces Challenge, an international outdoor sports and survival competition and reality TV show. We're excited to introduce you to a devoted father, Ironman triathlete, and mental health advocate, Gary Mills. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Craig. Thanks, Ben, for having me. No dramas. Well, Not a bad intro. Yeah, it's pretty good. You can feel pretty <laughs> humble with that one. Um, so, Gary, I, I might start here and, and just talk a little bit about your young years. And you grew up in country near New South Wales. Um, so, can you just tell us a little bit more about that and maybe how you, what you sort of dreamed of in those days and, and sort of where you wanted to take it? Yeah, absolutely, Ben. Um, I'm 46 now, so I, I pretty much I'm a 70s child, early 70s child. I know you wouldn't believe it if you looked at me, maybe, but um, <laughs> like all of us. And uh, I grew up in a small country town in the Riverine of New South Wales, a place called Geraldery, Ned Kelly country. Yep. And um, you know, we, we started uh, out on a farm in the younger years. Uh, I, I remember being out there, but certainly not old enough to really get involved in the farming work. But dad was always out on the farm and uh, mum was the, you know, she worked, but also looked after myself and my, my brother and sister. And, and after a while, we moved a bit closer to town because Dad, Dad got out of the farming game. Um, and uh, yeah, I just had a, a, a normal childhood, I guess, for, for um, living in the bush back in those days, BMX bike, we'll see you at dinner, we'll go, go out and play, just swim in the creek, climb trees, do all those crazy things that we lived through, thankfully. And um, yeah, had just, just a real knockabout sort of a childhood. We was certainly... Um, uh, we weren't flush with money or anything like that. It, you realise that more as you get older, I guess. It, you know, times were tough, and mum and dad did the best they could for us. And um, in terms of dreams, I sort of flitted around a little bit. Yep. 
thought about a fighter pilot. You know, pretty cool back then. I could see you with the aviator glasses <laughs> on there. And Tom yeah, Cruise. I, I actually did own a pair of those. <laughs> and um, but also, a police officer was in the back of my mind as well because my uncle was a policeman, and I looked at him as a really strong um, role model to me. And he's a, he was a New South Wales copper in the bush, and used to go and spend a lot of holidays with them. So uh, that's where my I guess my, my insight into the police force uh, started and um, you know later in life it, it happened for me. And a, a police officer in the bush is a pretty tough gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And yeah. That didn't turn you off from a young age, it really no. drew, drew you in? No, I remember being in the police station back then and I think it's awesome that he let me use the typewriter to type addresses on the front of envelopes. I thought <laughs> I was part of something. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was great. I, 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 just really enjoyed that and, yep. and it sort of was drawn to it, I guess. So going into the police force, was there a certain area that you kind of naturally evolved into or was it you were just kind of comfortable going whichever way and doing what you were told to do? Yeah, I, I joined Victoria Police in um, 1996 and that was, uh, I think I had my 23rd birthday while I was in the academy. And um, yeah, it was a great bunch of people and a new adventure. Um, I hadn't done anything like that. I'd been doing a bit of jackarooing and uh, been in wool school for a couple of years and then the wool industry sort of uh, really fell down and I decided to follow another path and um, yeah community policing was really good fun in Victoria. It was tough. It was back in the 90s and um, and but I was very fortunate to work with a lot of really good people. Um, we, we really big support network and that, that carries through to today as well why I think our social and, and work networks are so important because that's what gets you through. That's what supports each other in, in um, you know, your well-being and that. And um, but yeah, we had some had some great times. I remember once uh, it was my first exposure to fake news. We all hear about <laughs> fake news. I was uh, driving the van in Richmond, and uh, we got a call that a kangaroo was hopping down Hoddle Street <laughs> at two a.m. in the morning, middle of Melbourne. Those who know Melbourne. Um, no, it's a pretty busy street. So we went and we actually found the kangaroo at Collingwood train station, I think it was, and we, we captured it in a blanket and um, the wildlife people came along and to, to relocate it. But I actually fell over while I was chasing it <laughs> on the road and I remember having blood and cut fingers from landing on the ground and big news, the news crew cut, turned up because it must have been a quiet night. And while we were carrying this kangaroo into the, into the car, uh, one of them said, oh, what happened to you? Did the kangaroo bite you? And I said, no, no, I, just, I wish it, I just fell over. <laughs> but, but sure enough, it made the news the next evening or that evening. And um, they said, oh, one of the officers was bitten by a kangaroo. <laughs> so a uh, bit of a laugh, but I was just watching it going, well, that's exactly oh, yeah. what I told you didn't happen. It's not, not quite as good as having a boxing fight no, with a kangaroo. No, that's right. but, uh... I saw that one recently with the um, skydiver who landed and oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the kangaroo attacked him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was up in Tipping Miller. Yeah, I did say that. So from that, from those police force days, you know, you've obviously become a very effective leader. What were some of the skills that they taught you through that? Um, I guess the culture and, and the learnings that you picked up. Yeah, look, that, that's a that's a great question because I my my skills. I, I didn't go to university. Most of my I've done, certainly done higher education, but uh, life skills and experience is what. Um, gives me the value to me and the, the skills and knowledge I have. And in, in policing, uh, particularly at a young age, communication is, is critical. Um, being able to make decisions under pressure. Um, 
And being able to, the situational awareness is really key as well. You're able to actually identify different things happening at the, the same time rather than just um, laser focus on one particular thing. So I, I think that's a really valuable skill and um, it's certainly something I've worked on in, for my self-awareness. But um, yeah, policing, you know, some are better than others at paperwork. I was okay, but it wasn't the best part of the job. Um, but, it, but I really enjoyed the, you learn to work with diverse people from all backgrounds and um, you know it's, it's, it's a tough gig and I take my hat off to police and frontline emergency personnel and anyone who has to work with people where they encounter difficulties it's a hard hard slog um, to be able to actually do your job and, and deal with the, the, uh, the, the different personalities and difficulties that the people are facing but um, you learn a lot at a very young age and um, you know, I was very fortunate to have that experience. So obviously, you know, <clears throat> they obviously do a wonderful job serving the community, and from there, has it helped you with dealing with nerves? You know, obviously, you, you put in some pretty stressful situations there. You um, sometimes you called out to something where you're not really sure what you're going mm. into. Has that really has it allowed you to be stronger in those positions when you get up and speak on stage, or when you're lining up on the start line of a triathlon? Absolutely, it, it allows you to, um, you know, use some mental tools and mind tools to relax, you know, stay focused because our bodies, when we're put in situations, whether it's public speaking, um, you're doing your first triathlon or uh, like most people, you don't enjoy the swim. A lot of people have difficulty in a triathlon in a swim. Um, it allows you to I found that it allows you to uh, plan something before you get there. Not overthink it, but just have a plan in place. It's really, really important because whether you're having a difficult conversation with somebody or um, you're preparing for, for an important job presentation or anything like that, um, the preparation is key because it allows you to, um, when your emotions might start to get the better of you, you've got something there in place to keep you on track. Um, because the emotions definitely can get the better of you, and um, you know, even even the best public speakers have nerves. Certainly do. Yeah. Every, everyone's got fear. Yeah. It's just how you how you handle it. And I was ta- I was listening to something the other day around um, Pink. Oh yeah, yep. And she does acrobatic stuff from say forty floors above the ground, and she's just on wires off the side of a building, and um, she's one of the few singers that actually doesn't do doesn't do backup. Uh, sort of backup lyrics. She actually does it live, no yeah. matter what she's doing. But she still says, "Look, it doesn't matter what she does. She still has a massive fear, um, but she just has to override it and just jumps in." Yeah, and, that, and that's amazing because I, I, one of the, I went to a concert quite a few years ago in in Sydney, and it was exactly that. And you sit there going, "This is amazing." And um, you know, and when I've in the past spoken to people about those fears around presentations and speaking and things like that, I, they, they say, oh, I'm really nervous, I feel really nervous and you know, everyone's going to see me shaking and it's actually when you video them and they watch the video, they go, you know what, I don't look nervous at all. Yeah. You know, it's, that, it's that experience of where you think everybody's just looking at you going. So you talk about the preparation, would one of the key points of being prepared, um, a skill like visualisation, would that come into it a little bit? And if, if you think that's one of those strong suits of being prepared, how would you go about that? Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good technique, and and, and really what whatever works for you. I mean, there's people who are really visual. Yep. Um, it's you've really got to identify, I think, what your 
particular um, sensory strength is, whether it's auditory, visual, um, you know, feeling, whatever it is. Um, I'm very strong with music and things like that. I, I love listening to music in the lead up to something. And um, but visualization, it's been proven to be a very effective tool. You know, I remember reading one one study about um, where people were given basketballs. One group, all they could do was visualize shooting um, hoops. Another group got to do a bit of visualization, a bit of practice, and one group got to do full practice. And the outcome of that um, exercise was the people who visualized actually got more hoops than the other two groups. So visualization is a really powerful tool. And um, I know from a, a coaching perspective, and when you're, when you're trying to um, help someone with their beliefs and confidence, uh, the idea of talking about that you're already there, I am, rather than I want to be, um, is, can be a very powerful tool as well. Have you ever tried just visualizing before you do an Ironman race? Well, no. Without training. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm doing that with running at the moment, <laughs> being injured. So um, not, not total visualization. Like um, I, I, will, I will think through like the transitions. That's probably the most yeah. um, fiddly little part of it. I mean, Iron Man's pretty good. You get someone to grab your bike when you walk in and um, someone to help you uh, offload, get your gear and everything. So that's a bit of a unique experience. But but for the shorter triathlons, it's, uh, you know, you really need to transition training is really important. You can actually, um, because the little things, when we, when we get under a bit of pressure, our fine motor skills tend to go and everything like that. So that's why practicing those and visualizing that is really important. Whereas once you're on the bike, it's you're on the bike, and once you're in the run, um, but I, I don't in the lead up to a race or even on the start line, I I try to just enjoy the moment. I don't think about what I've got to do, where I've got to be. I think about, you know, generally I'm on a beach, just breathing, relaxed, and um, once it starts, it starts. That's a it's a great approach. So transitioning in law enforcement, you go from being kind of reactive and at, at the face of it as a police officer to being proactive and more in the background as a bodyguard for prime ministers and presidents and, and government ministers. What was that change like and what characteristics allowed you to excel in that environment? Yeah, uh, yeah certainly bodyguard isn't your regular type of policing and uh, that, that's for sure. Um, I, I found that the general duties policing was, gave me the great foundations to be able to move into the Australian Federal Police and, um, you know, and then a couple of years later look after John Howard. And um, I, I think that the communication skills go to another level because you're dealing with multi-agencies, both here in Australia and overseas. So there's, you, you, you need to become pretty aware of cultural sensitivities, you need to be aware of um, even the political environment, even though you're not you're apolitical, um, to understand who's who and what the dynamics are. Um, and if you're sent out there to plan an operation, you might you would go in advance of the Prime Minister and the rest of the team and all the and you would work with other Australian agencies and foreign agencies and um, at the end of the day you just have to make it work. So you become quite adaptable. Flexibilities are today's leaders need to be adaptable and flexible. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that because not because of just 
dealing with different people and different situations, it's because of the rate of change yeah. in the world. Um, if, you, if you're not adaptable and flexible, it's really, really hard. Um, and look, I, I think for me, it was also being when the job's on, the job's on, the focus. Focus is really important. I, I, li I listened to an interesting study the other day about multitasking and things like that, and um, they explained it from a perspective of you know, multitasking. We, we talk about, oh, I'm a good multitasker, but um, they were saying from the neuroscience point of view that your neurons can only actually focus, do one thing at a time. Only one set of neurons can fire. So the, the idea that you can do two things at the same time really, really well is, is not supported by the research from what I've read. And um, so what we can tend to do if we don't focus on what we're doing at the time um, and our mind starts to wander to other things, we're actually being ineffective and or less effective in what we're doing. And the other thing is it's going to take longer. So I, I, I've really worked on being able to, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm going to focus on, and then I can move on to the next thing. And if I need a break, that's great. And then I'll have a rest and then come back to it. But the focus has got to be there when you're on it. I think that, that's an important point because mm. staying in the moment is sort of mm. a technique that everybody needs to learn a little bit. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's really difficult to achieve anything. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I want to ask a little bit more about, um, without going into classified details, but what's a day-to-day -day look like when you when you are working with the Prime Minister or a heads of state type person? Yeah, look, there, there, there's some certainly some common themes in the day-to-days, um, and that generally would be, uh, uh, we rarely did the Prime ex-Prime Minister, John Howard did, rarely did he miss one of those famous morning walks he mm -hmm. did. Um, you know, he was, he was very big on that and um, so it's a good way for us to start the day as well. A uh, bit of fresh air, not quite triathlon training, but <laughs> still good to be out there and getting some fresh air and then... And what, all, what sort of time would that have been? With uh, how long the walk? Yeah. yeah, I think right. it was uh, it was about 45 minutes. Yep. And it was, so it was an early start? Yeah, what? very early yep. start, yeah, 6am. So I imagine you guys had to come into some central location, get yourselves organised and then meet the Prime Minister? Yeah, and a lot of the time you're travelling as well, so yeah. you'd be in the same hotel, hotel or, or in the vicinity of where he was. Um, so yeah, it's and then he's obviously 24-hour protection outside of that. Um, but yeah, it'll resolve around what they're doing. So you're living someone else's life, and mm. it depends on what role you're doing, whether or not you're travelling around with the, the Prime Minister or you're, you're actually one of the advance party. Um, so if you're an advance party, it's just like a recce. You, you go and line everything up for the arrival and make sure everything's travelling well and everything's uh, secure and safe and everyone's on time and where they've got to be. You're working with other people from his office. and um, But if you're with him, you wherever he goes, you go. Um, yep. So And then that might involve meetings. If you're here in Canberra, it would have been Parliament House, yep. dinners, functions. And, wallabies. Uh, yeah, wallabies, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and once again, without letting on too much, but were some of the more interesting places and people that you got to be around? Yeah, I was, I was really fortunate because I, I after after John Howard, I worked on, on some other, plenty of other jobs uh, around ministers travel overseas and, and presidents and prime ministers of other countries come in here. And I was very fortunate to go with somebody else to Pakistan and India, um, parts of the Middle East. And uh, that was fascinating. Uh, it, particularly Pakistan, it, it's, it was quite a, a beautiful country in parts and, and I actually learnt a lot about the country that uh, most people probably don't really hear about. And um, 
Uh, it's not, I wouldn't necessarily go back there for a holiday, but it was great to actually be on the ground and see the country, meet the people and, um, you know, everyone's a person just like us and I think accessing the world like that brings you, bring you brings it back home sometimes that um, these things are happening all around us all over the world and everyone's just trying to, to get by sometimes and have a good life. So there's a, there's currently a Netflix series called Bodyguard and there's a guy in there and and obviously plans are great, right? But yep. he's sitting there and they're driving along and his gut feeling will go, you take a right here. So, you know, you got to think on your feet. So how much, how often would you have to kind of go away from that strict plan just based on this doesn't feel right? Oh, yeah, look, it, it, it depends on how much the deviation is and how much the gut feeling is. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, the, the, the teams run, um, you know, the, the security's very good and the people are very good. And, um, you know, the way things are done now, I'm sure there's there's been advances in technology and, and tactics since I was doing it. And, um, yeah, gut feeling does come into it, particularly it's just, it's no different to... Um, you know, walking down the street and seeing somebody and you know, something just doesn't feel right. Or if you're walking along and there's a bunch of people walking along the footpath and um, they seem like they've been having a few drinks and that, and you might just feel, I'm just going to cross over to the other side of the road. Because yeah. that just, not because anything's going to happen necessarily, but just because it mitigates anything yeah. happening. And that's, and that's what a core thing of doing that security work was. Um, you can't eliminate every possible risk you, you can mitigate it by making good plans, but also being able to adapt in that planning and having backup plans. Backup plans are very, very important. Mm. So it's obviously quite stressful roles at time. You're away from family, away from friends. You're, you're probably sleep deprived at certain times. It can take a big toll both physically and mentally. So what sort of strategies would you be putting in place to ensure that you are present and you're on your A game every every day when you may not feel so good because one mistake could be costly um, for both your career and, and it could be costly from a, a life point of view as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, Self-care is really, really important. Um, you're right, it's, it's a lot of stress, even though there's a lot of standing around in doorways. Um, it, uh, yeah, it's, you need to actually identify that self-awareness and awareness around you of when, okay, I can actually relax for now. I know, say for instance, someone's in a room and they're secure um, compared to we're out on the street or in a car. Um, so it's really understanding your environment's really important. So from a, a leadership perspective, uh, understanding your environment and the people around you and, and being aware of the the, um, you know, the, the ebbs and flows that happen. So it really is that ebb and flow of, um, okay, I really need to be on my game 100% because if you work an 18 hour day, you can't be on your own game for 18 hours. Yeah. You've got to take time out. Um, and it's being honest about it. If, you, if you're not up to something for a day, there might be another role you can do. And, and being, so you really, if you're working in a team, uh, whether you're the leader or one of the team, um, you need to be honest with your teammates. But I would imagine it's very hard to switch that off. Yeah, yeah. Like you would always be thinking in that space 100% of the time. Do you still sort of think in that space nowadays? Well, I think, it, yeah, it's a good yeah. question, Ben. And I think it's a lot of it's subconscious. Yeah. Um, on, on my radar still, 
probably tuned. as good as it used to yeah. be. Yeah. Um, but I just don't have the same level of heightened awareness that I used to be. The radar's there, but I'm a lot more relaxed. Um, so if I walk into a building, if I see people, I certainly know there's still things I do there which have been learned in, in the police force in the jobs that I've done over the past. And, and that's, that's great because it's a heightened awareness and, and sometimes it will be, you know, if something, if this happens, I'm gonna do this. Uh, and it just has to be a quick, quick thought process and um, nothing more than that. At times, is that annoying though? It used to be when I couldn't switch off, yep. but as I said, it's a, it's, it's a lot more subconscious now yep. because it's a skill and it's a, that I've practiced a lot. And as we become, you know, put a lot of time and energy into things, uh, things just don't happen overnight. That's taken me a lot of years to do that. And I think it's just a lot more subconscious than probably when I, you know, whenever you first learn a skill. Mm. Um, yeah, you just pick up on things and you know, something doesn't quite feel right or I'm gonna do this just in case. So mental health was something you've had to learn to live and cope with. Um, when did you first learn that you were dealing with depression? Yeah, I, I interesting, I, I did a Beyond Blue talk this morning. I'm a volunteer speaker for them. So and this, this exact, um, so I talk about this regularly. Uh, during the, uh, the noughties, the 2000s, um, I talked about this job with the, Prime Minister's team moving up here to Canberra four months up here before my young family moved up. Um, I think it was over over that period of the, the noughties um, that my mental health started to deteriorate. You know, I, I can look back, back on my childhood and, you know, I, I had social isolation at times and I, you know, quite moody and uh, whether or not that's, that was something that led into something else, I don't know. Sometimes, as I said this morning, it's not always the why, yeah. um, but just responding to it. We don't always know why. But during, uh, during the work, work became my focus. I, I lost interest in a lot of stuff outside of work. I even became dis disconnected from my family. Um, and it was all about work. It was all about... Uh, the one focus, I'd go to the gym, but there was no real focus there other than lifting weights. Mm. But is that a, in that sort of industry, is that a badge of honour to be solely focused and 100% committed or is that just a uh, fictional movie style existence? Yeah, I, 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 think it's, uh, I think it reflects a lot of industry, not just that sort of industry as well and um, that expectation that uh, I've even seen it I do work with, with people in the public service and you'll even see it there where it's like, you know, expect your emails and to be on the email, expect you to take a phone call. It's like, where are the boundaries? Mm. We need to set boundaries. And back then, I guess I was in my 20s uh, and 30s. Oh, actually, in my 30s, I should should say. Jeez, <laughs> been a bit generous there in my 30s. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I was doing stuff that I'd never been exposed to. I, it was like a playboy lifestyle. Yeah, it's exciting. The yeah, private jets, at the, top the of hotels, the flying all around the world, going to Wallabies, being in the Wallabies dressing rooms mm. after the World Cup, all these sort of things. Is that the one they won or the one No, one that lost? Johnny Wilkinson kicked that goal, <laughs> yeah. I was actually standing on the ground when he's kicked that goal and I was, I was calling the action to a couple of guys on the team who were at a wedding. Oh, what's happening? What's happening? It's like, oh, no, he's just kicked a goal. 
And um, you should have arrested him. Yeah, I should have. Should not. Should not. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> Cuffed. Should have blocked the kick. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is. It was all exciting, and, and uh, it was a playboy, playboy uh, lifestyle without the money, the girls, the parties, and <laughs> all that stuff. But uh, I joke about that. But that's it. Was here's a guy from the country, and, and a lot of the people in the team were like that too. You know, we just came from policing backgrounds and here we were in this lifestyle it was a but but it was great it was but then um yeah i i started to struggle through the through that through that decade and um and then um eventually came to a head in 2007 i actually went on the beyond blue website and i ticked all the boxes for depression but i actually didn't do anything about it Hmm. um i didn't feel the need to i i don't know what it was there was nothing driving me or pushing me to actually change my life. I thought, oh, I'll just work, provide for my family. As long as they're good, I was very, my self-care was very poor. Uh, but I wanted to, even though I didn't have that emotional connection that I should have had with my family, um, it was, as long as they're financially comfortable and um, they get everything they need, everything will be all right. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's not how it works. But it took me five years after that before I actually sought help for my depression, when I was basically at rock bottom, yeah. rock bottom, yeah. And did, and did you figure that out yourself or did someone need to give you that impetus to go, you know what, you have to go? Yeah, it was actually my wife, uh, Nick. She, uh, we were out walking our dog uh, in 2012 and she just, and I was really down and I had been for, for a long, long time. And um, she turned to me and said, have you ever thought you've got depression? Of course I had because I'd looked at it before, but I'd never done anything about it. And then the next day I went to the doctor. Now, I can't tell you for certain why that particular question encouraged me to go and get help. Because, mm. I, you know, I, I'd put my struggles and pains with other people, speaking to mates and that. But, you know, the, the question of mental health, I don't think ever came up. It was more about just being down and things are tough and... Um, but yeah, that was a that that empowered me, and and yeah, 2012. That's when my road to recovery started. And so, obviously, a big challenge for you and for your family, but also probably quite good to finally acknowledge. Okay, I know what it is now. What sort of coping strategies or things did you put in place to ensure that you could live the life you wanted to live? Yeah, it was uh, it was a long road. Craig, it was, um, I reckon it probably took me three or four years to really dig myself out of the hole. Now, I've met, I've met other people through the Beyond Blue Speakers Network who say three months. Um, for me, it's, everyone's different. Mm. But perhaps it's because I was in that hole for so long and I was just coping just. Um, but for strategies, it was really working with professionals is the first thing. I, I can't do this on my own. I, I can't expect my family or, or untrained people to do this. And I can't expect just looking at the internet for, for information to do it. So uh, professional support, doctor, who I, I have a really close relationship with my doctor now um, because it's an ongoing thing. And, um, and in terms of strategies, the first thing was to start to try and turn, reverse the effects of... Uh, the stop guard on it and just not look too far ahead day by day. I was actually, I actually had a therapist and she was great. 
for some of those techniques and it's really that present we talked about before, Ben. Um, being present in the moment, not worried about what happened yesterday, not worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow, but just being in the moment because there's so the biggest joy can come from what's happening right now. And uh, that's carried me through to today as well. I, that's one thing I've really worked on. Exercise is really important. Uh, fresh air, going for a walk, just switching off. Um, and uh, I did take medication, and, but that, again, that's a professional um, decision. Now, I wouldn't encourage anyone to start doing that on their own, or that's the that's the answer for them. But for me, it, it helped me basically um, get healthier in the head and the body, and then I could start making better decisions because my decision making was hopeless, either bad decisions or I couldn't make decisions. So as you sit here today and you, you work with Beyond Blue and Blokepedia, you do all these sorts of advocacy type things. Yep. What advice would you give to somebody that was really struggling like, like you were? You'd read the internet and you did nothing about it. But how, do we, how do we capture those people that are struggling? Yeah, it's, uh, it's the, the, the key um, for me and, and certainly uh, the research shows that it's, it's connections, people. The people side of it is the key. The resources, the technology, the the phone calls, all those sorts of things, they're all very important. But I think um, nothing's more important than knowing that somebody's there who actually cares for you. Yeah. They don't have to know all the answers. All they have to do is, you know, hold your hand, arm on the shoulder. Say, look, I don't know what we're going to do, but let's go and find out together. Um, we all need that support. Um, and for me, that that continues today to be the most important part of my own health, and I say mental, physical health, because we're all one person. Uh, I've got a close network of friends who are all had their own experiences, um, whether it's PTSD or um, others, and, and we're there for each other. Uh, we, we will reach out, but you don't have to have gone through it to help somebody. Um, I, I, that's my message all the time is that just if you need help, ask for help. If you see someone struggling, offer your help. Simple as, look, I'm worried about you. Is there something I can do? Can I, I, I'll just sit here with you. And if they don't want to engage, if they don't want to talk about it, that's okay. Just um, go off subject, but don't forget about it. Revisit it. Try another way. Don't give up on them. Because quite often... Um, like it was for me, you feel like you've given up on yourself. So you need someone to fight for you sometimes. And so now the work that you do with Blokepedia, because it's very new for you, you yep. just started this year, can you explain what you do there and why that's something quite unique and a little bit different to say what Beyond Blue do and what other people may do in this in this space of mental health? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so Blogopedia has been around since 2017. A guy, Josh Cornby, actually started it, and he lives up in Brisbane. And um, he, his, his father died and um, uh, in his mid-teens, and he didn't process that until a bit later. And he thought, you know, we need to get men to open up more about um, looking after each other, talking about how they're feeling because the, the statistics speak for themselves around men and mental health. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, far more men take their own life than women. Um, but it's not all about mental health. 
uh, our, our approach at Blokeopedia is all about men's relationships. Yeah. Um, we, we've got an event uh, that I'm hosting here at the dock at Ben Alexander's pub on the 11th of April. Uh, I've got a couple of speakers there, Tim Shaw and uh, Martin Fisk and, and another guy, Blake, who's from who's written an article about being a young dad. So it's going. To, the focus is going to be on being a father and um, a bit on divorce and separation. And but the great thing about Blokeopedia, besides the title, um, it's an inclusive organisation. We encourage women to come to our events um, because they're an important part. And, we've, and women speakers can create provide a great insight for men. So it's not all about blokes just sitting around having a beer and. But the tagline for it is conversations that matter. Yeah. That's our focus. We want to, there's, there's a lot of great resources out there. We don't want to be another website where you go to to find out all the information. We actually want to get people boots on the ground. We want our, we're speaking to organisations about programs where we can support their, their mental health programs or their wellness in their organisation, excuse me. Um, so it's really about that boots on the ground. And the other thing is sustainability. So we don't, we've had a lot of events where we'll get people like Ben Alexander. I've, I've done some work out in rural Queensland with um, Dave Shillington, who used to be a raider down here. And um, Dave and I went out to outback Queensland and you know we had 120 blokes in a pub. They had this event in Claremont called Jugs and Jocks. So <laughs> they have it every second year they had it. And so we're up there talking. You know, both Dave and I had a, uh, spoke to the, the guys in there and behind us there's a washing line with undies <laughs> hanging off it. So uh, that's, that's unique, first yeah. time I've seen that. Yeah. But it was, it was fantastic and the feedback there was great and we had about half an hour of questions after that. So it's breaking down those barriers and providing a, a safe and open place for, for men to be honest. Honest about how they're feeling and just supporting your mates. So people really struggle to kind of achieve their dreams and goals that are really just within their reach, uh, their reach, right? They're just right there. Yeah. What do you think the biggest limiting factors for people not achieving success are? Yeah, it's 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 a the question we'd like all answered, wouldn't it? I mean, learn behaviours, and I think we're our own worst critics, and we draw those experiences from uh, what people say to us, what we see about, yeah, I can't do that, I possibly couldn't do that. So I'm not even gonna try. Um, it really is understanding that to, to achieve what you're gonna achieve, if you've got ambitions and goals and there's things you wanna achieve that you haven't done yet, um, it, it's not easy. So Takes that's time. the first thing, not thing you've got Could to acknowledge. Trained. Yeah, it's hard work. You're gonna have setbacks. Too often in society and, and you know, from, from being young kids, if you make a mistake or fail, it's a bad thing. Uh, the best leaders always talk about failure as being an important part of where they are today. You've got to fail to learn. You've got to make mistakes to learn. And people are afraid to try something in case they fail. And being judged, being judged is a big one. Hmm. Whether it's public speaking, whether it's... Um, you know, going out and starting your own business, going for a job, trying a new sport, anything like that. You know, you try something new, you're probably going to suck at it. <laughs> Good chance. That's okay. Everyone, everyone started from somewhere. 
I think particularly in today's society with so much of that social media and you made a point yeah. before about switching off or you've got to sort of put the blinkers on a little bit to try some experiences. You can't be perfect at everything first time up. No, no. And I'm, I'm very much a... I, people ask me some of the things I do and I'm very strict on my, on my social media because we've all been caught in those moments where we'll be scrolling and then an hour later you've scrolled through all these great things that people are doing and you've wasted time and you feel like You've done nothing. Done nothing because yeah. look at all what everyone's yeah. doing. So I put time limits on uh, particular times during the day when I'll check social media. Um, and if I'll post something, uh, that might take a little bit longer. But So it's important. I, I think social media is great for staying in touch and finding out business trends and things like that. But, yeah, we can. it's not the real world. No. It's, it's people's perceptions of the real world and it's only snippets. Mm. It's like watching a movie and seeing... Not even half of it. Yeah. And and the thing is, we if we don't see the full story, we make stuff up. And if that looks amazing, they must because they're on a holiday somewhere or they they've done something fantastic, which is great when people uh, are proud of what they achieve. But the problem is that people can see that and and think, well, their other twenty three hours of the day is just as amazing. Whereas that's not the reality for anyone. So you were just saying then that you put some parameters around your social media. Yeah. Do you want to share with us sort of what you actually do? Yeah, sure. So I, I Instagram and um, LinkedIn, I find they're the ones where I can really get lost. So twice a day, I'll jump on. I'll have a quick scroll through. If there's anything for me that someone sent to me or responded to, I'll, I'll you know, if people take the time to make a comment, I'll always endeavour to say thanks or just to acknowledge that somebody's taken the time to do that. Um, if there's nothing there for me but there's an article, I find some really interesting articles, particularly on LinkedIn, I'll save that. So I'm actually, when I want to read that, I don't have to go into LinkedIn to read it. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Um, with Facebook, I'll, I'll flick in and out because I don't, I turn off all my notifications. And I know that with our triathlon club and there's other groups I'm members with, um, messages come through and I don't have that on because I don't want my phone beeping. It's a distraction. I'll, I might jump on that a bit more often just to see if there's any messages there from my coach or anything like that. So um, that one I'm a little bit looser with. And my daughter, who's 14, says that Facebook's for old people, Dad. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. You stay on your Snapchat. Um, but yeah, so I, I really... And I'm not always good at it and I have to... You have to check yourself sometimes, but it's that media and internet at night time before bedtime. It's it's a no, it's a bad thing. Yep. Mm. So, so vulnerability is mm. something that you have probably embraced yep. as a keynote speaker, actor, modelling, um, been on the radio. What has kind of attracted you to that space, and and what do you love about it so much? Yeah, look, I only spoke about this this morning, actually, and um, and I was one of these kids that, yeah, I played the air guitar and mum and dad put on concerts for mum and dad with a tennis racket. Yeah, we're all kid as kids, we're quite expressive, mm. and kids more so now because they're used to seeing themselves on camera and video, and so they're, they're quite comfortable with it. And I was comfortable with that, but then at some point in our time, most of us stopped doing that. We stopped being... Um, you know, putting ourselves out there at the fear of being judged, putting ourselves out there um, in case we 
look like a goose. Yeah, that's a little bit in the Australian and New Zealand culture, a little yeah. bit really, isn't it? You don't yeah. want to look like a mug. No, that's right. Yeah. Whereas other cultures were quite happy to do that. Show and um, for, yeah. yeah. And I think for me, uh, becoming healthier with my mental health, particularly, I, I've really tapped into the creative side of my brain. I'm not saying it wasn't there, but it wasn't. I wasn't activating it or um, accessing it. And I do. I, I I just love the feeling of doing something for other people, whether that's um, you know speaking for Beyond Blue, Blokeopedia, doing that stuff because that's really really important, or whether it's in a group making people laugh or helping people laugh. I, I, I've got a. I love my sense of humour, and my wife and I, we play off on each other all the time. She's very quick-witted, and we try and outdo each other sometimes. And I, I love that stuff. I love the impromptu stuff. Um, and just giving people a laugh, because there's so much serious stuff in our world that laughter's the best medicine, and, and, and it absolutely is. And I think from from an acting point of view, I've, it's like it turned into like I was in that TV show where I represented Australia, and... I thought, I want more of this, this is fun. Why not? And and I'm actually, later next month, I haven't got the, the dates yet, but uh, the final dates, but I'm actually gonna be uh, a co-host for the next one over in Canada um, for their t- t- for the TV show. So I'm gonna be a TV presenter uh, awesome. later next month. So, uh, you know, look, it fits in with my business model and um, I just love that stuff. It's good fun. Cause you can be, I can be myself but at the same time, you, you, you're just trying to make other people, help other people have a better life by giving them a laugh, giving them something to watch, excitement, information. I guess it's a classic case of being able to put yourself out there and you, you don't really know what's going to come along. Yeah. You know, you're open to the opportunity rather than being so self-obsessed and absorbed in your own lunchtime, so to speak. That, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, put yourself out there. Who knows what's going to happen? That's where the best opportunities come from sometime. And because that, that TV show we're in that, um, when I was asked about it, I didn't know a lot of information about it. And they said, oh, can you, uh, Nick's invited as well, my wife. Mm-hmm. So I rang her up and I said, oh, this is the deal. It's over in Bali and some sort of reality TV show. I don't really know much about it. And the first thing she said to me, it's not one of those shows where everyone's naked on the beach. <laughs> and I said, I hope so. <laughs> but it it's wasn't. funny because I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, I'd be hoping so. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking, Gee. And then when I found out we were all clothed and it was going to be hard work, I was like, oh, this isn't so good after all. So I, I don't know a lot about this TV show. Do you want to fill us in on? Yeah, it's, um, it's called Ultimate Forces Challenge and it's actually uh, a competition that comes out of uh, the Netherlands so it's a Dutch production and they've, they've been running it for years over in Europe and Bali was the first time they ran it outside of um, Europe to give it a real profile and uh, um, Chris Smith hosted the one back in 2016 he's uh, Danny Minogue's ex-husband he's a played rugby for England and all that sort of thing and he lives in Sydney and he my model and he first time I'd met him and you know it was it was Amazing! It was the first time I'd had five or six cameras following us around and just seen how it all works. And I thought, this is really interesting. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of moving parts, um, but at the same time, a lot of waiting. But when it was the game was on, you had to perform. So that's that's about being able to relax, find that place where you can just 
zone out and just kick back, enjoy yourself. But then when, okay, your 10 minutes of competition is up now, you've been sitting there for six hours in the rain in, under these tarps, uh, now you've got to go out and perform for your country and 10 minutes and do this heavy lifting or running and that. And, and that, was, that taught me a lot of skills. And the best thing about it was seeing how our team united and bonded. And then we bonded with all the other teams as well from the other countries. It was just an amazing experience for everyone. Talking about uh, performing and, and impromptu as well. We all know smart people have great answers, but the best people ask great questions. <laughs> when was the last time you did something for the first time? I, I, like, I like to mix things up a lot a little bit, but the, first to- the last time I actually did something which was totally random, I was recently in China for doing a bit of business. And I was in Shenzhen and with a guy who uh, lived in China, but he, he's, he, uh, he's Swiss and um, we went to the markets and there you go, there it's a food market. There's the spiders, the scorpions, the bugs. I'd never had anything like that. And I, I, I didn't go as far as eating a spider or a scorpion, but there was these little grubs. And I said to the guy, what, what's that? They're silkworms. So I tried, he said, try one. Yeah, all right. I walked back. I walked away, walked back. I thought, nah, I'm just going to do it. So I tried one. It was actually raw. And I go, yeah, that's all right. But then I didn't realise I actually cooked them after that <laughs> and put all these spices in them. So I get this bowl of silkworms and they're delicious. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, oh, I'll go back tomorrow and have a spider or a snake. A, a snake, yeah. I'll, but I didn't. No. <laughs> the, the big hairy spiders, I said, no, nah, look, I, I'm just going to, Maybe one day, but not this trip. Bypass this trip. Yep. <laughs> so um, one of the questions, um, I guess I'd like to ask, what's one of the questions that you would love to solve? Yeah, I, I, you know what, I, I think about, do you know the Hollow Men? It's uh, Rob Stitch and that, um, about being a parliament house, about the prime minister and all that. It's like utopia. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I use those clips sometimes for some of the work I do on there. It's hilarious, but it's so true, which is a scary thing. And there's one there that I love. It's, it's about a, a diplomatic row Australia's having with Indonesia. And one of the Prime Minister's staff is having a meeting with this guy for advice. And they're talking about, oh, it's all, it's all bad. And the guy looks at him and goes, why can't we just make happy films? And I think that's... That's really important. That's I great think. Question. Yeah, it is. Why? Why? Why is there so? You know, after so much advancement in the human brain, our interactions, the global community, why? Why just can't we get on better? And there's a lot of good people out there. Don't get me wrong. Uh, most of the people in the world are good people, uh, but there's just so much stuff going on where it's just like, let's. Let's not have a horror movie or a war film anymore. Let's just have a happy film in life, and mm. you know that that's a you know, real philosophical view. But I think I think we can make inroads to that, and I think the grassroots change that we've seen, um, you know, even with the kids in Australia, that's the way that we, we we make that change. You know, kids these days are a lot more socially and environmentally responsible. They're 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 they're, they're a lot more people focused, whereas I think we've really lost sight of that, and I think some of the leaders in co- leadership in this country could learn from that. I think podcasts 
have been quite a good medium for this where mm. it is it's a lot more around happy kind of content yeah whereas if you go and watch the news or you go and watch uh oh, sorry read a newspaper yeah. or even the radio a lot of it is quite negative yeah and it's like I love how podcasts has kind of flipped that model around and people are enjoying that longer content where it's thought provoking. It's, it's got a bit of fun to it. It is, um, it's challenging them in the right ways. Oh, absolutely. And that's what, uh, you're both here doing. You're providing a platform for people to share, share, share their knowledge and skills and experiences for people's success. It's about helping people. It's not about, you know, what's in it for me or what's in it. It's about actually sharing that, that's for betterment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, that's it's a great approach and, and we need more of it. So we can't do everything on our own. So who has left the greatest impression and had the most impact on your career and why? I uh, Look, without, without doubt, my wife, Nicole, um, she's been my greatest supporter through my hardest times and my best times. And... The influences she's had on me um, has been profound and uh, our relationship just keeps getting better and better and because I've been able to get healthier and, and stronger and, and the self-awareness for myself has improved so much that I'm a rock for her as well whereas she used to be carrying all the load um, and I, I just, just love, love that. And, and that's certainly, she, she just, and the other thing is she's my greatest soundboard as well. If I come, I come up with these random ideas, like at 2am in the morning, I'll write it down. Go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And then I'll talk to her about it. And she won't, she won't be rude about it, but she'll say, have you really thought how that'll work? And then a couple of days later, and, and she's certainly not, um, she's totally supportive of everything I do, but she is a great soundboard for those wacky ideas that I think, yeah, I shouldn't even, even if that was a great idea, or you never know where it'll lead. It's probably not what I should be focusing on at the moment. I need to need to stay focused on this. So she's a great grounder for me is without hampering my creativity. And the other biggest influence um, are to all the people that I've helped, and I couldn't even name most of those because the people that I go and speak to for mental health, for um, I do... I've done keynotes on self-belief and a um, bit of around motivation and that. The people that I haven't even meet, um, haven't even met, that go on and take it away, my satisfaction out of helping them has, is, just drives me. What I can do for other people is, is the big driving factor for me when it comes to my career. It's a great, great approach. And you've given us so many great insights and lessons today so how can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you if they want to get in touch yeah look i've got it there's a couple of websites there and i'm also on linkedin and um but garymillscoach.com is is my own personal website it's just me and my miniature schnauzer on there my miniature schnauzer sachi yeah she's my director of health and well-being um so that's, that's one way, and it's got all my contact details on there. And then blokeopedia.com, so it's blokeopedia.com. Uh, that, that has all the information around um, Blokeopedia and contact details for both Josh and myself. And, um, yeah, I encourage anyone to reach out. Uh, we, we love working with, 
with uh, organisations. We love talking to individuals about, you know, in a nutshell, how we can help improve lives. And that's, that's what it's all about. It's not about the big happy pill because I don't think that exists. It's about improving people's lives. So Gary, it's been a, a fantastic conversation today. Ben and I have both thoroughly enjoyed um, some some really fun and exciting and and, and adventures. And your life has been quite uh, expansive and it continues to grow, which is really exciting. We've also had to delve deep into some really serious topics as well. And you've elegantly put that across around how you've coped and dealt with those situations and how other people can really thrive and learn from what they're doing. Um, I really love your approach of giving it a go and just, you know, let's see what's out there, what's going to happen and, and not being afraid of eating a silkworm or standing up on stage in front of a few thousand people or even um, being an actor, you know, standing in front of that TV camera is quite daunting. Um, and so I really thank you for the opportunity to delve into your life today. Thanks very much, Craig. Thank you, Ben. Had a great time and um, keep doing what you're doing, doing great things. Hey, you're welcome. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Our active CEO wellness tip today is called energy management. Most CEOs and leaders spend time focusing on managing their time rather than managing their energy. You have to manage your energy and productive downtime as it will allow you to maintain a higher threshold of performance over a longer period of time. So how do you make sure that when you arrive at work or for whatever task you're going to do, you have got that right energy to ensure that you can deliver what you need to? It's really, really important because if you don't have energy, you're going to procrastinate and therefore managing time becomes really, really, really difficult. So if you're able to continually have high levels of energy and you're in that moment over a longer period of time, especially throughout a whole year, you're going to be a lot more productive. An outstanding episode there with Gary Mills. You were talking about growing up in rural New South Wales, going from being a jackaroo in the wool industry to joining the Victorian Police Force as a 23-year-old. We talked about what allowed him or what skill sets he developed in that community policing that allowed him then to go into the Australian Federal Police and then become a really, really good bodyguard for prime ministers and world leaders and presidents from all around the world. We talked about fears around presentations and the importance of being able to just let things go and really get into that moment. He talked about the power of visualizing and using that for both triathlon events and also getting prepared for any performance that he was doing. We delved into what it's like to have depression and how he managed that time and now what he's doing with both Blokopedia and Beyond Blue. Some amazing work there. And a lot of the time it's just all about people asking the question, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help you? I'm there for you, right? It's all about caring. He's been able to really grow and transform as he's come out of depression. He obviously is still dealing with it, but he copes with it really, really well now. And he's found his creative side again. And I love the fact that he's putting himself on the line, challenging himself every day to be an actor, whether it's a speaker, whether it's coaching people, 
but he drives his energy and he finds real success in helping other people become better at who they are and opening up and understanding what's going on inside. Those conversations that really, really matter. I look forward to seeing where Gary goes in the future and he's, got, he's going to touch so many people's hearts and minds and I'm sure he's going to make a, continue to make a huge difference and ensure people can succeed and not be afraid of, being, of people judging them. This is the Active CEO Podcast. We're the ordinary, don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.